Hey everyone, welcome to Entrepreneurship by Design with Dr. C. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline, and thank you so much for joining us today. Entrepreneurship looks different for everyone. How and why we start our business, challenges that occur, pivots we have to make, success we achieve, all while life is happening. That's why I love sharing these inspiring entrepreneurs with you and shed light that there is enough room for everyone to succeed and thrive, even if you're in the same industry. I'm so glad you're here with us today because we have a phenomenal guest with us, Dr. Cedric. Dr. Cedric is the CEO of Cedric Wellness Resources. He is the creator of the Self-Care 7 Protocol, host of Self-Care Forum podcast, and author of Self-Care Advocate, Seven Steps to Prevent Chronic Disease. He helps people adopt a holistic lifestyle that prevents chronic disease and rebuilds their health in 49 days. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Cedric. It is such a pleasure to have you, and I would love for you to dive into your journey, how you got here today, and then we can go a little bit deeper. Thank you so much, Dr. Caroline, for having me. Uh, for those who are watching, hello. Uh, my name is Dr. Cedric Bachatu, and just to summarize, I help people adopt a holistic lifestyle. Uh, to prevent chronic diseases. And we use a unique seven-step protocol that addresses the causes of various chronic conditions. And so I uh, am very honored to be here with Dr. Caroline because I believe it's important to share uh, my journey into this uh, business, but also I believe it's important to share the message uh, of self-care advocate, which is, which is uh, what I'm all about. Yes. And I, I love that. That's what you're all about. And I would love to know, why do you believe that adopting a holistic lifestyle is so crucial for preventing chronic diseases? And what specific benefits have you seen in individuals who have followed your self-care seven protocol? Great question, Dr. Caroline. So there are many reasons why we should adopt a holistic lifestyle. Uh, I want to start by just stating uh, the reality that we face. If you live in America, um, it doesn't take much effort to look around, uh, maybe somebody in your family, maybe even yourself, uh, but the majority of adults in this country are struggling and uh, living with a chronic condition. In fact, uh, recent statistics showed that six in 10 adults live with a chronic disease and four in 10 live with two or more chronic diseases. And so when you have such a staggering amount of people, the majority of people that are sick um, that are chronically sick and they're surviving, they're just trying to survive, um, you're dealing with an epidemic. Now, unfortunately, um, we have a system of care that uh, focuses on symptomatic treatment. Um, now, I do want to clarify, I think in the United States, we have a, a fantastic healthcare system for traumatic injuries, right, traumas and everything. So if I were, God forbid, but if I were to get into a car accident or uh, had a major physical trauma occur, there's no better place to be than, than the United States. Um, our doctors are very well trained. We've got the latest technologies. We've got drugs galore. Okay, so that's not what we're referring to when we say we're dealing with a crisis. What we're referring to are conditions that are called chronic diseases, right? In short, what these are, these are conditions over which develop over a period of time. And they're really dependent on the way in which you live. So these are lifestyle diseases. And my position and my message is that because these are lifestyle diseases, they require a lifestyle-based solution. 
as opposed to simply treating the symptoms. So for example, if you were to have high blood pressure, if someone has high blood pressure and they go to see their physician, so the physician will give them any number of medications to lower the blood pressure. That's fine. The problem is the next day you still have high blood pressure. And so you've got to take the medication again and so on and so forth. If you have high blood sugar, if you're type two diabetic, for example, and you go and you see your doctor, uh, the conventional system would have them work to lower your blood sugar. So they could give you any number of drugs such as metformin. And if it's severe enough, they could give you insulin. Um, again, those work well to lower your blood sugar. But that's not the root cause of the problem because guess what? The next morning, your blood when you eat, your blood sugar spikes again and it remains there. So the question we should be asking ourselves is what is going on that is causing our organs and our organ systems to malfunction where we need the addition of external factors such as drugs and drug therapy in order to function normally? or somewhat normally. And so that's the question that I want everybody to think about. We we have a healthcare system that is based on symptomatic relief, right? That's treating the symptoms. But I liken it to if you have a yard, if you have any, you know, house or property, you know, you have weeds growing, um you can mow those weeds down all you want, right? The next day, they're back up. And so you've got to mow them again and mow them again, and it just becomes redundant. Obviously, that's not going to work. What you have to do is you're going to have to get some gloves, right? And get on the floor and dig deep and uproot them. That's the only way you're going to get rid of the weeds. You've got to uproot them. And so I use that analogy to, to, to say to people, listen, if you've got a chronic condition, what you've got to do is instead of focusing on the symptoms, what you've got to do is focus on the root causes. Once you eliminate the root causes, mm -hmm. there will be no problem, okay? Mm -hmm. So by understanding what is contributing to the development of your high blood pressure, by understanding what's contributing to the development of your high blood sugar, your diabetes, once you understand that and you take steps to address those things, you then find that, hey, you need less and less medications and hopefully you may not even need any medications, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason why I I, I created the self-care advocate protocol um, using the self-care seven. It's sort of my secret sauce. And so um, over the past nine, 10 years, I've been speaking on, on chronic disease prevention, mm -hmm. but I realized, Carolyn, uh, that giving people more information is not the answer. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just not the answer. For example, would you agree that most people today know that smoking is bad for them? Yeah. Would you agree that pretty much everyone knows that it increases your risk of lung cancer? Mm -hmm. It increases your risk of respiratory diseases. Okay, so why do millions and if not tens of millions of people still smoke? Mm -hmm. You see, so the information is not the issue. There's plenty of information. We're inundated with information. What we're dealing with is we're dealing with habits right? Someone who's had a habit for 10, 20, 30 years is not going to change that habit simply because they came across new information. It takes a very strong will in order to be able to do a 180 once you've encountered new information. And so this is why a lot of the 
informational campaigns don't work because people are just told something, which I'm sure they already know, Mm -hmm. but they're not giving a system which allows them to turn around to make that 180. And so over the past nine, 10 years of speaking throughout Westchester County, uh, Rochester, New York, just all over as as far as I could go, uh, I realized I had very little impact. I just gave people information but I never gave them a system. So I decided that, look, to start a business, what I'm going to do is focusing on creating a system. And that's called the Self-Care Advocate Program. And that system consists of a book, a workbook, an app, uh, a coaching course, uh, you know, group coaching online. So that's the system that I've developed. And so what we've been able to do is we've been able to work with people who've done, uh, we actually had uh, what's called the Self-Care Advocate Challenge, um, where people downloaded our app and they were able to follow through. And we had people, uh, you know, giving us testimonies. They were losing weight. Uh, their blood sugar was balanced or more balanced than usual. Their blood pressure were more balanced than usual. We had about 80 people do the challenge. And so, so the results were fantastic. Those who did do the challenge, you know, not everybody followed through, but those who did do it were, were um, uh, had some phenomenal results. And, and that's because we simply work to get you to adopt habits gradually, not immediately, not all of a sudden, mm-hmm. because you're not going to, you cannot shock someone into making a change. You really have to do it gradually um, so that when you remove your guiding hand, they're able to, you know, it's sort of like riding a bicycle. Once you let go, you want them to be paddling along by themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so once we remove our hand and step away, we want them to continue uh, with the paddle, right? Continue mm-hmm. with the lifestyle uh, choice that they've just adopted. Um, and the more they do, the more results they're going to see. So we've had quite a few people uh, share with us their testimonies of weight loss, of uh, high blood pressure uh, being balanced or blood sugar being more balanced. And, um, you know, we're very happy about that. We're very proud of that. And that's the message that comes out that, that you'll hear from me that I want to disseminate to to the world, to a global audience. Yeah. And I love that because I I think you touched on something so key right there of being able to have all the information, but it's how you apply it. And I love that you created a system that really takes people through it because there's a lot of misconceptions or just common myths or barriers that people face when it comes to prioritizing their self-care or they know, okay, smoking's bad for me, but they still do it. Or like they're eating food that is not healthy for them or not exercising or movement, whatever it may be. But I love that you created this system. So how do you address the challenges when people have barriers of prioritizing their self-care when they're starting to go through the system? So that's a great question, Dr. Carolyn. Thank you so much for that. So First and foremost, we have to understand that a lot of the barriers that people have are mental. Again, when you're dealing with adults who have been living a certain way um, for a very long time, for years, maybe even decades, um, it's always going to be very difficult to make the change. And again, the reason I say that the barriers are predominantly mental because it's, it's a pain, it's uncomfortable, it's different to do something um, unlike you've done for the past 10 or 20 or 30 years even, right? So if you can get them to overcome the mental block, the mental hurdle, then it becomes a little bit easier. A lot of these changes are not so drastic that they require you to 
go and take out a loan or go and, you know, start bench pressing something you've never done. No, what we're talking about is really, for example, the very first step of our protocol is to reduce inflammation. And so reducing inflammation can be done as easy as removing seed oils from your, from your diet. So, you know, you have a lot of people that cook with oils such as canola oil, um, you know, grapeseed oil. These things are horrible for you. They're very inflammatory, right? And so getting them to switch to, um, you know, healthier uh, avocado oil, you know, olive oil, that sort of thing. So it's not such a heavy burden to get someone to go from canola oil to olive oil, right? It, it, mm-hmm. it, it's just getting them to understand that, hey, one is very inflammatory with the way it responds to your body, the types of fats that it's putting into you. And that contributes to the development of chronic diseases. Whereas another one is very neuroprotective, cardioprotective, very good. These are healthy fats that uh, your cells use in order to function, in order to live better, function better, and, and overall the benefits. So I think one of the best things that we can do is address, even before we start working with a client, we get them to... Um, Tell us their why. So one of the things I'm big on is knowing what your goal is and why it is that you want um, to achieve that goal. So I can tell you all the many reasons why you should do our program, right? I mean, chronic disease costs tens of thousands of dollars in unnecessary spending. Um, If you have a chronic disease, um, you're spending an average of $6,000 a year just on medical uh, medication costs, uh, hospital visits and all that stuff. And then certain chronic diseases like diabetes. I mean, if it's out of control, you're looking at twelve, thirteen thousand $13,000 a year, just on the treatments, the insulins and all these different things. I can sell you on the vision of living your life, um, spending, you know, without worrying about chronic disease, right. Being able to eat food without concerning, oh my gosh, I got to check my blood sugar. I can sell you on spending more time with your kids, being alive longer, right. Mm-hmm. Less hospital visits, right. Being right. healthy, not having this elephant on your back. That's you're constantly concerned. You're constantly, well, what if I have a heart attack? What if I have a stroke? I can tell you all of those things, but fundamentally you have to want those things. And so it's one of the biggest things we can do is identify what your why is. What are some of your reasons for wanting this end result? And I think if someone has really good reasons, then they'll make a great client because we don't have to convince them of anything. They're ready for the change. And now, do I think everybody should be ready for the change? Yes, yes, I do. Is everyone going to be ready for the change? No, no, I I don't believe that. Um, You know, I think some people just, they just need to convince themselves a little bit more. And uh, so we never pressure anyone into doing, into working with us or doing our program, because we don't believe that you should be putting money towards something that you're not convicted towards, right? Um, You should be putting money towards something that you want to do and uh, towards an end result that you want to get. And so um, fortunately for those who we work with and and those people, those uh, organizations, they generally have people that want the end result. And so it makes our job a lot easier because we don't have to convince them. We just have to show them how to get to the ideal state of health that they want. Right. Wow. Yeah, you're so spot on. And I do think it really has to do with the why. When somebody knows what they're doing and why they're doing it, they're more inclined to continue to do it versus, well, I know this is good for me. Like it goes back to the information piece. There's a lot of information out there, but it's being able to apply that knowledge 
and do something about it, especially with a system in place, it makes it that much easier because it is hard to change. Everybody can change if they want to, but you have to want to. We can't want it more for other people. They have yeah. to do it. And that's what I'm hearing from your messaging and what you've been able to accomplish. And I know you've helped so many people and there's been so many success stories, but I would love if you could share some of the success stories of individuals who have transformed their lives through the self-care seven protocol and what changes have they made in their lives to make an impact on their overall well-being. Great question. Uh, great question, Dr. Carolyn. So one particular individual that stands out is, uh, um, well, let me just preface by saying we we work with uh, organizations. So we work with churches. And so we get them to do our program collectively. And one of the reasons we do that is because we find that you get more participation, more engagement, and more commitment when people are working in groups, especially when they are groups of like-minded people. They know each other. So, you know, they're, they're in a sense, there's friendly competition going on. And so one of the churches that we've worked with, uh, you know, we had an individual with knee problems. Um, some of it was due to weight, some of it was due to just over over the, the years, the wear and tear, uh, the knees were becoming problematic. Um, I, I can't really say that it was arthritis, but I, I can say that it was problematic. Um, and so uh, one of our, you know, we've got seven total protocols, uh, seven steps in our protocol rather. And so one of the things that we do, we not only get you to reduce inflammation, we get you to drink a little bit more water. We get you to deal with your gut health. We get you to exercise a little bit more. And of course, these are all gradual, but the, the, the advantage of our program is that it's a cumulative effect right? As you're doing things, you know, you're doing something for a week and then you add the next step and then you add the next step. So it's a gradual process, but the real advantage of our protocol, our program is that it has a cumulative effect. So rather than telling someone, just go to the gym and work out, right? You're, you're making all these changes, which allows when they do start working out and doing whether even if it's as much as walking or maybe light jogging or something like that, the results are able to get are infinitely better and faster than someone who just worked out, right? Because it's about creating the condition, the ideal condition for the human body to thrive and to respond to any change that you make upon it. So one uh, particular guy that I can think of um, had knee problems. Mm -hmm. Again, that may have been due to weight, that may have been due to some something else, you know, maybe they're lifting uh, from their job, but, you know, their testimony is, well, the knee problem's gone. Well, the knee problem's gone. Well, what's interesting about that is they've also lost a little bit of weight, right? So they've also lost a little bit of weight. So maybe that took some of that pressure off. You know, we've gotten them to cut back on how much sugar we've gotten them to, to understand, for example, um, you know, the role of sugar, how it's hidden in foods and, and how to identify it and how to track it, which, um, you know, psychologically speaking, and once you know what you're eating and you know how much of it you're eating, now you're mindful. Maybe I shouldn't eat this, or maybe I shouldn't eat this much of this. And so reducing that inflammation removes a lot of the pain, a lot of the pains that people feel in their joints. And, and in this particular individual's case, you know, he had done what was needed to ensure that the pain went away. Of course, he also lost weight and he was resting and he was eating a certain way and he was building his gut. So everything just accumulated in him just feeling a whole lot better. 
right? Mm -hmm. Now, I can't take credit for it because it's not something that I did. These are changes that he made. And our program just helps you make those changes. And so that's something that, you know, it means a lot because you have a man who's now walking uh, normally, who's now able to, you know, doesn't dread going for walks with his wife or, you know, isn't constantly <laughs> sitting down or putting Ben gear or something, uh, or one of these icy hot patches on his knees or taking a pill for it. But they're able to say, oh my gosh, look, I can, you know, you want to go for a walk? Yeah, I can walk the dog or I can walk the kids or, you know, like they have their lives back. And that mm -hmm. is something that is significant. I don't know that you can put a price on that. And so that's one testimony that stuck out. And, uh, you know, I, I love those types of testimonies because you're seeing people understand that, hey, you know, you really do have your health in your hands. And yeah. sort of the outcome that you get depends on the lifestyle that you lead. Mm -hmm. Oh, so beautifully said. And I think too, it's just the work that you do, right? And it's every individual has that capacity to change their health if they want to. And it's those little things that you have to change on a daily basis. It's not changing everything at once, but it's a program. It's a system that's in place step-by-step step to make those changes and make sure they that they last as well. So it's making those choices. But once you start doing it more on a regular basis, it feels better. We feel better. We want to yeah. keep doing that. Of course, like yeah. the sugary foods, those are delicious. And of course we want more of those sometimes, but when we start to eat better, we feel better. We have more energy. We don't feel like sluggish. We can walk with our spouse if we want to. And like those things can really make a difference. But I love that example you gave too, because he put in the work but he had the guidance of the program in place too. So even if he felt like he was falling off, he had that guidance to get right back on as well. That's right. And that's the beautiful thing about programs like this in particular. And I know you're the author. We, we talked about your book, but the self-care advocate, seven steps to prevent chronic disease. But what are some of the key takeaways or actionable steps that you recommend for individuals who are looking to start their journey towards a holistic and preventative lifestyle? Great question, Dr. Carolyn. So there, are, our book, Self-Care Advocate, uh, emphasizes seven steps that are to be implemented. And anybody can implement these steps, really. They're not very difficult. Uh, mm -hmm. We simply choose to uh, tell people or work with people, and, and we tell them to implement it gradually, right? I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen, uh, you know, every time the New Year's comes around, every time January comes around, everybody makes these resolutions. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And everybody signs up for, let's say, Planet Fitness. And, you know, by February, March, you know, it, now it's no longer uh, such a big priority. Something else has taken their their uh, attention or has taken their time. And so, uh, you know, that when creating our program, we realized that, you know, goodness gracious, you know, people want these results. But, you know, for whatever reason, some of these changes are too sudden. Or too, or too momentous or too tremendous, or there's something about, you know, just making the commitment to go to the gym every day or every other day that for, for someone who hasn't done it, it, it just becomes overwhelming or other priorities come uh, arise. So what we did was when designing our program, we decided, okay, we have to get people to apply this program gradually. So it's not you've got to make these seven changes today. No, no, it's not like that. It's, you're going to make this change for about a week. And, you know, we have an app that, you know, sends you uh, notifications or cards. We call them cards every day. And so you just click on it, you know, five, 10 minutes, you read, you 
you know, if you don't want to read, you can watch the video. There's activities that you you do when you log it in there. Very straightforward, very, very straightforward. And so we decided to make it as simple as, as possible. People are always on their phone so they can get the uh, program delivered right on their phone through our app. And um, and it's it's a gradual process. So we do have seven changes overall. The first is reducing inflammation. And what that is all about is understanding that a lot of the foods that we eat, a lot of the things that we do, they're actually not good for us. And, and so what I mean by that is they may taste really good, they may look and smell really good, but they're not really good. And so they contribute to what's called inflammation. And inflammation is essentially, um, it's a process that the that takes place within the body generally as a result of some sort of damage that occurs. So the body will usually respond to some sort of uh, infection or uh, viral infiltration or, you know, physical trauma or damage by this process called inflammation. So inflammation is a natural mechanism of the human body. Mm -hmm. The problem arises when the inflammatory process lasts a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Then it becomes overwhelming for the body. Then it becomes a problem and it can lead to actually many chronic diseases. Um, inflammation has been known and has been linked to chronic diseases such as diabetes, mm -hmm. heart disease, obesity. Uh, uh, lip dyslipidemia, gluten intolerance, cancer, arthritis, tooth decay, weight gain, colorectal cancer, you name it. It's linked to so many chronic conditions. But the problem is when we're talking about inflammation, we're talking about, we have to look at the sources of inflammation. So we're looking at sugar. Uh, just to quickly uh, talk about this, the average American should be consuming, the average adult should eat no more than 38 grams of sugar a day for men. 25 grams for women, but the average American consumes almost 80 grams of sugar a day. So that's twice for men, uh, twice their, their allotted amount, and almost two and a half, three times for women. And so when you look at that, it's not a surprise why these chronic conditions are so prevalent. Uh, we're eating a lot of uh, gluten-heavy grains. We're eating and cooking with a lot of uh, uh, refined or industrialized seed oils, otherwise known as vegetable oils, many of which are actually horrible for us. Uh, mm -hmm. Canola oil, I mentioned, corn oil, um, you know, uh, cotton seed oil, soy oil, um, a lot of uh, grape seed oils and, and, you know, anything that's hydrogenated or refined. So these are common occurrences um, that people literally partake of every single day. And so what you find within the average adult in the Western world is on a given day, we are consuming foods that are inflammatory. We are living a lifestyle that is inflammatory. So we're not moving as much. We're a very sedentary society. You're spending eight hours at work. Maybe you're sitting down or eight hours at school. Maybe you're sitting down. And so we're not moving like we should. And so all of these things contribute to the development of Christ. I believe living a sedentary lifestyle leads to and directly contributes to 30 chronic diseases and leads to the death of millions of people worldwide. And so, again, we're not drinking enough water. So uh, step two of our program, step one is uh, reducing inflammation. Uh, step two, rather, is practicing elimination. We're not pooping as much as we should, right? That's That's sort of like something that I don't think it's a common conversation topic no. <laughs> that people talk about. I'm glad about. we're talking about it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the thing, is, the thing is, Dr. Gret, we need to be talking about it, yeah. right? You have people yeah. who 
uh, if you consider the fact that the average adult eats three, three to four times a day, right? But they might go two or three days without pooping, without having a bowel movement. Well, then the question one should ask themselves is what's happening to the food in us? Why is it taking two or three days to go through us? When realistically, yeah. if you look at people in other countries, the food doesn't last a, a day. I mean, you eat today by night, you're you're pooping it out. Your body's able to filter it out. So there's something going on that's delaying a lot of the, uh, you know, the peristalsis motion, the movement of your intestines. Or so it could be a digestive issue. It could be something along your colon or your intestine. So, but we're not having these conversations. And and a lot of us, unfortunately, we don't even think about it until you develop inflammatory, uh, uh, you know, some inflammatory disease or irritable bowel or you know, or some sort of uh, disease linked to your digestive tract or acid reflux even. And then we have to react or there has to be a surgical procedure to, you know, resect the section of, of the gut that's been damaged. Um, so we we don't poop, we don't practice elimination. Um, there's increasing hydration, which is step number four, which is step number three rather. And that simply means we eat three or four times a day and we don't poop for two or three days in. And so that's not normal. And I think people have to get to the point where they understand that in many other countries, or even when you look at a child, you know, they eat today, they poop today, right? The food is able to go through and it's able to be eliminated from their system. But for some reason, as we become adults, we tend to ignore that, right? Where someone might have a bowel movement once, once, uh, uh, every couple of days, maybe two or three times a week, but they're eating three or four times a day. And so the question we need to ask is why is food just sitting in our stomach? Why is it just sitting in our guts? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when we look into it, we realize, oh my gosh, that means there's something wrong or there's something not working the way it should. Uh, mm-hmm. So practicing elimination. Uh, now, of course, it's more than just pooping, but pooping is definitely one of the more important ones as the body has seven channels of elimination. We don't sweat enough, right? Sweating is how the body gets rid of toxins. Um, we have a lymphatic system that is able to help cleanse our system. We have kidneys. Uh, we don't drink enough water to help the kidneys work well. And so that ties into our step number three of the self-care seven, which is increasing hydration. The average American drinks everything but water, right? Mm -hmm. We drink coffees, we drink teas, we drink sodas, we drink juices, we drink milk. (laughs) We drink everything but water. But I think, um, you know, again, I'm not bashing those things. What I'm trying to, the point that I'm trying to convey is this. You can live without any of those things. You can live to to a ripe old age of 100 years old without any milk, without tea or coffee or juice or any of that. You cannot live long without water. And I think that's the message that I want people to understand. The only thing your body needs is water. It may crave something else. It may crave a juice or crave this or crave that. That's fine. That's what it wants. What it needs is water. It's the only thing the body needs. And so unfortunately, because of the way we're addicted to sugar, we're addicted to taste, we're addicted to flavor, everything else seems to have a better appeal than water because water tastes plain. And so because we're not drinking enough water, well, it begins to affect our blood volume, our blood flow. It affects our ability to get rid of waste, to filter our kidneys, right? To cleanse our system. Uh, It affects the shape and the size of our cells, whether they're going to be round like a grape or shriveled like a raisin, right? So water is crucial for so many things. And without enough water, 
right? Without enough water, we are subject to a host of chronic conditions. And so in addition to water, step four of the program is promoting digestion. And this is where we'll teach you about the gut. There's a whole new world. It's sort of like Ariel singing a whole new world. There <laughs> is a whole world in your gut, a whole world in your gut, trillions <laughs> of microorganisms that are living in your gut. There are actually more germs and bacteria living in you than you have cells. And so those germs and bacteria that are living in you have sort of a, a mutualistic relationship. I, uh, the best way that I can explain this, Dr. Caroline, is have you ever seen a video of a shark underwater? Yeah. They're usually surrounded by these minnows, these small fish that swim with it. And you would think, wait a minute, that's a big, bad shark. That's a that's a great white. That's a tar tiger shark, right? Why is it letting these small little fish, these small little minnows swimming next to it? Well, they have a mutually beneficial relationship, right? Part of it is when the shark grabs onto something, it tears the meat little chunks of meat go flying around and these minnows eat it. But also these minnows can also clean the shark's teeth and clean the shark's mouth and, and everything like that. So they have a beneficial relationship to each other. They benefit from being near the shark and the shark benefits from having them near him for root canals and teeth cleaning, <laughs> tooth brushing and everything. Well, it's very much the same way with our gut, with the germs that are living in our gut. They have a very mutualistic relationship. And mm -hmm. so they're able to help us break down certain foods. They're able to help us make certain vitamins. They're able to help actually repel viruses, believe it or not, because they don't want the new guy coming into their turf. So mm -hmm. they, they sort of form a defensive wall and block any new harmful virus, right? And so a lot of the issues that happens with, within us, actually, interestingly enough, are a result of the disruption of the gut microbiome. And so we teach people about that world, how to nurture, how to maintain it, how to eat enough fiber, how to eat enough fermented foods, probiotics, prebiotics, all of those things to maintain a healthy environment. And so when you have that healthy environment, you're able to make the proper hormones that you need. Um, your gut health is tied directly to your excuse me, your mental health is tied directly to your gut health. And so that's something a lot of people don't think about. You know, they have all these mental health issues, but nobody looks at the gut. Nobody's looking at what they're eating and how it's disrupting their gut environment, microbiome. So that's step four. Step five, we talk about improving nutrition. So this is where we teach you about, you know, macronutrients, micronutrients, uh, mm -hmm. which foods are healthy. I, I think I think most people know, but it just helps to have someone tell you. And sometimes you have to lead them away from pain uh, instead of leading them towards pleasure. So you have to let them know that, hey, that cheesecake, that's two days worth of sugar that you're consuming in one cheesecake. And we both know you're not stopping at one, right? So um, sometimes you just have to let them know that, listen, uh, you can't play innocent when, when something does, something bad does happen. You can't, you can't blame the devil and cry to God or something like that and say, why, Lord? Why? You can't do that because you knew what you did, right? And holding people accountable. And so that's step five, talking about nutrition. Step six is exertion, performing exertion. So that's physical activity, making sure that you're challenging yourself because the body only grows when it is challenged, when it is exerted, when it's exerting itself. Uh, of course, it helps you in so many ways. For example, you're able to sweat. 
Um, and sweating again is detoxifying your your largest organ. It's getting rid of toxins that you've been exposed to. You know, the perfume you sprayed on, the deodorant you put on, the lotion that you put on. Look, yeah. I, I'm in healthcare. Uh, I can't I can't tell you what half those chemical compounds do, or even I can't pronounce what half of them are. So. Mm -hmm. imagine the average person, you know, you're looking at an ingredient, a deodorant with like 20, 30 different things that you're putting on yourself every day. Well, those compounds, they don't belong in you. They've got to go somewhere. They've got to get out of you. So you've got to sweat them out. Mm -hmm. And so it's about getting people to understand the importance of uh, exertion or physical activity is it goes beyond getting stronger. It actually helps you cleanse yourself. It helps you your organs grow and get better. It helps blood flow to these organs so that they live longer and they live better and they perform better. And of course, our seventh step is allowing for restoration. And so this is where we emphasize the importance of sleep, getting into a pattern of sleep that is actually helpful. Uh, also, we talk about stress because stress can be good because it forces you to get better, but too much stress. And the types of stress that you experience are actually crucial. And people have to be able to differentiate between, you know, something that is unnecessary stress or something that is, you know, uh, uh, something that's good. You stress and distress. And, and unfortunately, because people are not able to discern, sometimes people take on more than they can bear. And they, they wonder why they go on and they crash. And they crash mentally. They crash physically. Things start malfunctioning because, again, it goes back to the mental aspect. If your mind is overwhelmed, it's full of worried, it's it's full of anxiety, it's, it's, you know, your body shuts down. The body will respond to the mind. If the mind is overburdened, the body will not function like it should. And that leads to a whole host of chronic conditions itself. So our process is addressing each of these needs in a way that is gradual. And it's not overwhelming to the individual, but it's a gradual adjustments or gradual adoption of holistic lifestyle principles. And so that's what we've experienced um, as being the most successful way to deliver people the results of better health and reducing the risk factors for chronic disease. Ooh, I love these steps because I think it just touches on everything that's so necessary when it comes from the inside out. And I do agree the mind and the gut are so connected. That's what my dissertation was all about, mindful eating, of understanding how our gut can really impact so many things. And it's our second brain. That's how I look at it. But yes, I do agree exactly. a lot of times when I was in the therapy world, I would refer clients, make sure they had a physical, make sure it was nothing medically wrong, that it was more of a psychological issue. But being able to understand and identify that I think is so key. But I really love how thorough each step is in order to get to the next step. And it, it's a process and it's understanding too, when we go from one to two versus one to seven, there's going to be some pitfalls. If you don't really focus on each element to really grow internally of what's going to be best for you overall. Yes, absolutely. And so I know we've been talking a lot about physical health, but in addition to that, how does your approach to self-care encompass mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being? And I'm really curious how these aspects contribute to overall health and disease prevention. Great question, Dr. Caroline. So the protocol is the self-care seven. And we believe that mental health is absolutely crucial to overall health. In fact, the last step in our self-care seven protocol is 
called allow restoration. And restoration is really a play on the ideas of both rest to uh, restore your body's abilities and, and a proper function. So that deals with sleeping, but we also have it focus on mental health and through identifying stressors. And so that's one of the things we do that during that week of the program is to identify your stressors. Some of the things that stress you the most, we're talking about things such as uh, sources of stresses that can be your job, family, um, you know, uh, interpersonal relationships that you have, um, you know, they could be at home, they could be wherever. And so mental health is such a crucial thing. Uh, I pointed out earlier that the fourth step in our program is called promote digestion. And one of the reasons we emphasize this is because the gut is a whole environment. It's a whole world. It's a whole ecosystem full of trillions of bacteria and microbes that are, have this uh, mutualistic beneficial relationship with uh, the rest of the body. And so one thing that's interesting is that the gut is tied, directly tied to your brain. It has so many nerves that are connected to the brain that the two are almost, you know, the gut is often considered to be the second brain. And so when we talk about mental health, we want to look, have people focus on what's going in their bodies first. And then the output, because I think about it a little bit like a car, right? Yeah. Uh, you have, when you pull up to a gas station, you have regular, you have unleaded, you have super, right? And mm -hmm. so depending on the type of gas that you put in, that will affect the performance of your vehicle. If you put the wrong type of gas in the wrong type of vehicle, uh, it might move a little, but it'll make a lot of noise and your car might start smoking or something, or it may not run altogether. So it's important when you talk about mental health, a lot of people like to talk about, you know, well, let's take this drug or that drug or something. Our approach is to focus on, let's look at their gut health right? Let's take a look at what's, what may be working. Uh, let's take a look at this thing called dysbiosis, which means what habit, uh, whether it is a nutritional habit or just a uh, cultural habit, what habit are they partaking in that is disrupting that microbiota or the microbiome in your gut, right? And again, these can be as, uh, uh, things such as the amount of sugar you consume. These can be the types of foods that you eat. Certain things are very disruptive uh, for the gut, or they can be due to the fact that you're not eating enough proper food. You're not eating enough fiber in your diet. You're not eating enough prebiotics or getting enough probiotics in your diet. But our point is this, the things that you put into your body, into your mouth to eat, they have a direct relationship or a direct effect on your gut and the microbiome. And that microbiome has a direct effect on your brain health and your mental health. So our approach is if you're going to talk about mental health, you really ought to look at gut health. And so it starts with looking at the diet that someone partakes in. Yeah. Absolutely. And 
as I mentioned earlier too, if it's just like the mind body, I so agree with that connection piece and there's science to back it up as well. But yes. I do truly believe what we eat, what we drink, it really does play a factor in our mental health. There's so much research to back it up. And just even what you're explaining right now as well, I think that connection is so powerful, but it's really important that we're taking care of ourselves. And I know that you had created a podcast just about that self-care forum podcast. What are some of the valuable insights or lessons you've learned from your guests that you've had on that influenced your own understanding of self-care and preventative health? Yeah, thank you, Dr. Caroline. So in 2021, I launched my own podcast. Um, it was It's called the Self-Care Forum Podcast. It's available on Spotify and, and Anchor and all these other platforms. And so what we do is we interview health and wellness professionals who have an interesting perspective. Um, and, and our goal is really to get them to talk about, um, you know, the human frame, to talk about certain con- diseases and conditions, um, and if they can highlight the role and impact that a healthier diet would have on the cause and prevention of, uh, of diseases. And so um, I've had up to 30 episodes now, a total of maybe 20, 24, 25 guests on the podcast. And it it's amazing what you learn from each person. I mean, I've had the privilege of having cardiologists on. Um, I know nothing about that field, right? I've had the privilege of having dietitians on, uh, nurse practitioners, health coaches. Um, so every guest brings his or her own uh, experiences with them. And it's such a nice way to cheat your way through life, right? Because I don't have to make some of the mistakes other people have. I'm able to learn from the accumulated experiences of other people. And I'm able to take their knowledge and wisdom and just apply it to my life. So that's one of the things I love about podcasting. Um, and, and so some of the guests that I've had, I've, I, I learned so much from every guest. One, one guy that I had, uh, Damon Jones, he's... Um, uh, a huge proponent of uh, plant-based diets and eating. Um, he was actually able to reverse his diabetes altogether. Um, he tells me, he to- told me an interesting story where um, his mother unfortunately passed away uh, from diabetes and diabetic complications. And so um, shortly thereafter, a couple of years after, he went to uh, the doctors to get a checkup and the doctor said, Hey, um, it looks like you're diabetic. You know, he was, he was out of shape and, and he, you know, he had uh, his blood sugar had uh, ballooned and, and uh, gone up. Yeah. And so the doctor was uh, diagnosing, diagnosed him with diabetes, type two diabetes. And, um, you know, the doctor uh, uh, was talking to him about his uh, family history and was linking his dietary, his diagnosis with his mother. And so what was funny was Damon stopped and said, well, doc, how, how can it be genetic? I'm adopted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. so, so, you know, they're not the same genes, right? So, but the doctor was trying to make the connection between your parent having diabetes and you having that. But he said, how can that be? I'm adopted. And so when he looked into it, he realized it's not the genes. It's the culture. It's the food culture, right? We inherit cultures. Um, We inherit genes as well, but believe it or not, there's a whole field called epigenetics, which highlights the impact that foods have on our health, on 
activating genes and suppressing genes. So you may have genetic predisposition to something, but remember this, the food, right? The lifestyle that you lead will activate those genes or deactivate them, right? So uh, one way somebody put it was genetics may load the gun, but your lifestyle, your diet and lifestyle pulls the trigger. So I think a lot of people, unfortunately, they get caught up on the diagnosis. Hey, uh, you have this. Uh, it runs in your family. Well, it doesn't mean you have to get it, right? right. If you yeah. change your lifestyle and you adopt these holistic habits, guess what? You reduce your risk factors. So whatever genetic predisposition you may have gotten can actually be turned on or turned off based on the food or the dietary and lifestyle culture that you adopt. And so that's one powerful lesson that I, that stands out for me. And uh, I just thought that was hilarious how, uh, you know, he told the doctor and the doctor's probably scratching himself like, oh yeah, good point. Yeah, absolutely. I love that story. And it just kind of goes to show you too, culturally, how things can impact us, the foods we eat, because especially some cultures where diabetes is prone type two, type one's a little bit different mm -hmm. um, because that's a little bit more hereditary. Correct me if yes. I'm wrong, just from my experience, my sister and my cousin both have type one and we had no idea where it came from because they were older when they were diagnosed versus being children when wow, they were diagnosed. Okay. So it's just so interesting how things now like all my family has to get tested every year just to make sure we don't get it later in life. But I think it's so interesting how food really can play such a, a key role in what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And it affects our mood. It affects everything yes. on such a, so many deep levels too. It's not just one thing, like you eat something bad, it's not going to affect your mental health forever. But if you're constantly doing that, that can have a ripple effect on your gut and everything else. Obviously you can speak more to that, but for my experience and what I've learned through my own health journey as well. But I'm so curious because there are so many more individuals now having chronic diseases and illnesses that keep popping up all over the world. What do you think needs to change at a societal level to promote and prioritize self-care and preventative health practices? Great question. So right now, when we look at the statistics, six in 10 adults uh, are living with a chronic disease four in 10 have two or more chronic diseases. When you look at how much we're spending, uh, I believe in 2020, we spent $4.1 trillion uh, on healthcare alone. Wow. That breaks down to about $12,500 per person. Okay. And 80%, over 80% of healthcare expenses are for chronic diseases right? So we're spending more money. In fact, they estimate that in the United States, by 2030, we will spend $6 trillion a year. Okay. So we're spending more money um, for healthcare. Most of it goes towards chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. Yet, despite spending all of this money, we're getting fatter, yeah. we're getting sicker, and we're getting more medicated. So you think about who wins from that equation, right? It's not the average person. So I think, again, we have a disease management model, which is based on the fact that we look at a condition and we think, okay, well, how can we mitigate the symptoms? Yeah. 
right? What we have to do is change from the disease management model, which focuses on a drug that treats the symptom. And we need to change and adapt what I call a self-care model, right? And, and the self-care model is simply a model that looks at the root cause of diseases, right? It looks at dietary and behavioral lifestyle changes that can be made. It focuses on educating people because at the end of it all, I don't believe anybody wants to be sick, right? I think most people, if given the choice, would opt to remain healthy. Well, when you think about what it means to stay healthy, there's a million different ways and a million different things that you're being told. And so that it gets confusing, right? You have to move through the clutter. And so what we've done is given people one protocol, no matter what your condition is, no matter what your risk factor is, apply this protocol and it will reduce your, your risk factors for those, uh, I believe it works for 95% of chronic diseases. But it's based on our understanding that chronic diseases are lifestyle diseases. They develop mainly as a result of how we live, how we breathe, and how we eat, or what we eat, rather, right? So a self-care model would look at the root cause of diseases, would look at the dietary and behavioral and lifestyle impact uh, of, of our habits, would educate patients, would view the body as an interconnected system. Mm -hmm. So rather than focusing on, you know, high blood pressure and saying that, well, it's a problem of the heart, we would focus on, okay, well, how does diabetes, how does blood sugar affect the consistency of the blood, right? And mm -hmm. if you have a pancreas that is unable to produce enough insulin to remove sugar from the blood, guess what? The blood's going to be thicker. And if the blood is thicker, that means the heart has to pump harder, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's, mm -hmm. and then if the blood ha heart has to pump harder, we would call that high blood pressure. Then thicker blood would mean, oh, well, he's got higher sugar, right? And of course that blood has to go through your kidneys and everything, but because it's not fluid like water, it's not getting, the kidneys aren't getting enough. So that could lead to kidney disease. So the self-care model uh, of healthcare would make the connection between all of these conditions. And so it wouldn't just focus on one organ system. It would focus on all of them, right? And of course, in order to do this, you would need the help. It wouldn't just be doctors taking center stage. You would need the help of dietitians and health coaches, because the current healthcare system that we have is unable to fulfill this. Because a doctor, I I believe you only get about twelve to fifteen minutes per 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 visit per per visit with your physician. Mm -hmm. Fifteen minutes, and the average person, if you're young, you go to the doctors maybe once a year, uh, maybe twice if you're really cautious, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're only seeing them for 15, 20 minutes, not even 20, 12 to 15 minutes, how can you go over everything you've done for the year in 15 minutes? Right. What kind of nutritional counseling can you get, right? And so that's why most of these visits end up with people leaving with a prescription drug, right? right. It's, hey, I only have enough time to listen to your problems, 
right? And based on the symptoms you've described, I know this drug takes care of those symptoms, right? Having someone sit down with you and go over it, that is not something that can be done in, in 15 minutes. You know, our program is, is uh, two months, almost three months, right? To do it um, until we have the same length of time. It's about three months when we work with, um, uh, like I said, we're rolling it out uh, for churches and we're going to do corporate, but even our individualized group coaching, it's its almost three months. And that's because it takes that long to work with people. You've got to meet with them on a weekly basis and you've got to give them challenges and you've got to help them develop this habit of accountability, right? And, and so the current system is just incapable of offering the self-care model that we so desperately need. And so that's why we're spending more money, but we're getting a sicker population, a more obese population, a more medicated population, but we're not getting the results that we want, which is living longer, healthier, right? Like what's, you know, you want to live long, but you also don't want to be hooked up to a machine or chronically or constantly dependent on drugs, right? You want to be able to go through your day without having to worry about this or that. And so we're not getting those results because the system is not built for that. Right. The system is built for, hey, we only have enough time to listen to your symptoms. And this is a drug that takes care of that. And of course, that has its place. But if given the choice, most people would opt for something else. Now, where are the healthcare dollars going? The healthcare dollars are going in that direction. Right. So, of course, in order for someone to hire a dietitian or, you know, pay for a pro- my program is about. 197, by the way, I think that's a reasonable price, mm-hmm. but the self, the self-paced program, but in order for someone to take or uh, uh, partake in the self-care model, they're going to pay out of pocket, right? The insurance company isn't going to pay for it. And I think that's one of the issues that we face. People feel that they're already paying for health insurance through their work and their jobs. Why should they take money out of their pocket to then deal with a coach or you know pay for a program or something? And I think that's the challenge we face. So wherever the money goes, that system will be sustained. When we can turn that, money funnel towards a more prevention, uh, a more holistic approach, which leads to prevention, I think you'll see more people taking advantage of these services. Absolutely. And I so appreciate what you have created because you're right. I think so many doctors are so overwhelmed with the amount of patients they have to see on a day-to-day basis. I know you wait in a waiting room for maybe like an hour or two before you actually see the physician. And then it's a very quick visit, but there's not enough time to really go through the depth of what's going on or being able to pick that really quickly apart of, okay, well, what can we do versus here's a prescription that will help with the symptoms and reduce those. It's a Band-Aid essentially, but I love that you've created something to really redirect in the best way that you can with the self-care model and the protocol that you have in place, because it does go over the different aspects. And I think, I know you said it's about three months, 49 days is the timeline to rebuilding your health. And that is done in your program. What are some of the key milestones or habits that participants that are in it, that you're coaching, that are either in self-paced or coaching typically focus on in this period of time? Because I think it's a good amount of time to really work through things, but also be able to see those changing changes that are lasting. 
Yeah, great question, Dr. Caroline. So one of the things we like to start with is your why. Um, I want to know why it is uh, that you're doing the program, what motivates you, um, what do you hope to gain from the program, from its completion? What do you hope to gain? And of course, towards your physical health. And so when you can tell us uh, what it is that you want to achieve, it helps us you know, it helps us steer you in that direction, right? Someone who is diabetic may not want the same things as someone who is hypertensive, right? Or someone who's pre-diabetic and pre-hypertensive, what you have, right? Or someone, you know, who just wants to reduce their chances of developing a chronic disease. So all of those things require somewhat different, it's the same protocol, but slightly different applications because you're emphasizing um, different things. So for example, someone who is concerned about blood sugar is really going to pay attention with week one because that's where we emphasize sugar, mm -hmm. right? Whereas mm -hmm. someone who is uh, more so concerned with their high blood pressure is going to focus on, uh, you know, uh, week three, that's where we focus on hydration. We teach them about blood volume and the importance of maintaining, getting enough hydration, uh, you know, to keep your veins open, your blood flowing smoothly. So it, it's really up to the individual and what they hope to accomplish with the program, but they can be slight, they can be tweaked slightly in order to accommodate their desires. Um, so, um, as far as what milestones they've set for themselves, I think most people who do our program definitely just want to get to a point where, um, you know, their conditions better managed, right? With or without the drug, right? Their their A1C has gone down. They've reduced their uh, their risk factors, which means that those things that would that could potentially trigger. Uh, their blood, you know, high blood pressure into going to a hypertensive emergency, those things have been eliminated, right? And so that's what they, you know, that's what I believe most people are looking for is, hey, this is where I am now. I don't want to get any worse, right? And if I can get better uh, doing this program, then that's fantastic. And so that's what we're able to help them with. Or you have some people that are, I'm healthy now, but I want to, I feel that I'm I'm, I'm getting off the roadway or getting off the bandwagon. And I want to make sure that going into the future, I, I stay healthy. And so this is why I'm doing the program. And so we want to help them understand that, hey, you know, this program works for anybody. Mm -hmm. It works as well as you're willing to implement it into your life, right? Mm -hmm. I can't, I, I can tell you how passionate I am, but ultimately it's up to you to uh, decide that you're going to uh, implement this or you're going to adhere to the prompts in the app or the protocol or the things that you've learned. Um, but generally speaking, people uh, will want something that is specific to their pain points. And their pain point is what usually determines um, their, their outcomes or what they hope to get from the program. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think too, it goes back to just understanding everybody is individualized in what they're experiencing, but the program takes you through those steps of what is necessary to make those lasting changes, or it doesn't really matter where you are in the process, but right. just being able to recognize the foundational pieces of what's important when it comes to self-care and health and being preventative, because yes. we can, it's easier to be preventative than once you're in it and feeling sick and not your best self. It's a lot harder to make those changes or you're just doing repair really quickly each time versus actually uncovering what the root cause is 
beforehand before it gets out of hand, I should say. But I'm curious too, because I know you work with so many different people, but what advice do you have for individuals who may feel overwhelmed or unsure about even where to start on their journey towards a holistic lifestyle? How can they begin to start incorporating self-care practices into their daily lives? Great question. Great question. So it, it, it always starts with your why. I, I can't make you want to care about yourself. I can tell you how to, Mm -hmm. but you have to have good enough reason. You have to have motivation. I can give you all the statistics. I can tell you about how many people are sick or have a chronic disease. I can tell you about the side effects of drugs. Mm -hmm. I can tell you all of that stuff. But until you have a reason, a motivation, there's not too much. My words will, there's, my words are limited in their impact. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And so when you can get a piece of paper, write down why you want to be chronic disease free or why you want to be healthy, who do you want to do it for? Someone might just want to be able to spend more time with their kids, with their grandkids even, right? Uh, Be able to spend time with their wives and their husbands, right? So you have to have a list of reasons why. Somebody may just not want to feel old, right? They don't want to feel old. They want to still be young. You know, when you're young, you run around, you fall, you get back up. But as you get older in age, you fall and you kind of stay down and you hit the life alert, right? So (laughs) most people I would imagine want to remain youthful. Most people that I imagine want to live long, healthy lives, right? Because it's life is worth living when it's pleasant, when you're healthy, not debilitated with all these conditions. And because of that, you see people getting the strength to make these changes. So I think it starts with your why. If you have a good enough reason Right, You almost have to tell yourself and you almost have to convince yourself because what you're doing is you're making a 180. And some people have the will to make a 180 without external influence or external help. But the majority of people, myself included, you know, we need somebody to hold our hands, right? We need somebody to encourage us. You need that sense of motivation. You need that sense of community that's going to encourage you, that's going to celebrate your wins, that's going to celebrate your milestones, that's going to celebrate your completion of the program, that's going to celebrate your, you know, drinking X amount of water a day, that's going to celebrate you going from two bowel movements a week to, you know, five, six bowel movements a week, right? You're going to need a community that's going to say you're doing great, Mm-hmm. Good job. You're reducing your risk factors for, you know, irritable bowel or IBS or inflammatory bowel disease. So you need that community that's going to encourage you and motivate you and keep you in line and keep you focused, keep you on the straight and narrow. But it starts with your why. Once you have your why, right, then you need a system. And part of that system is a, a community of encourage. Meant, uh, and, and people that are also going in the same direction that you're going. And so it's then easy to look at someone who's maybe done something that you aspire to do, or look back at someone who's struggling with something you struggled with and share with them how you overcame, um, you know, that particular challenge or that particular phase of the program. So I think that 
you know, it starts with knowing your why and then having a program and within that program, having a community of those who are going to hold you, pull you up, motivate you, encourage you. And that's what seems to keep people on the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I do think it really goes back to the why, why we do something because it's going to elevate our reasons to keep going when we don't feel like it, but then also having a, a corner of people that are cheering you on, knowing that you're in this together. And I want to touch on the why, because I do think that is important of just understanding why we do something, the people that we're doing things for, and just taking care of our own selves so we can show up powerfully for the ones we care about. And I know you're a husband, a father. How has your self-care and work-life integration really looked like for you as you've navigated the waters of being a husband and a father? Well, I'm not going to lie, Dr. Carolyn, it's a, it's a work in progress, right? Um, yeah. When you get married, everyone tells you to have children. They just don't tell you how to take care of those children. Fair and enough. so it's, 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 but it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful experience. It's a tiring experience, but it's, it's really wonderful. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I would say that for those of you out there that may have a business or ambition, do it before you bring a child. <laughs> because to be fair, they require a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I think you're doing them a disservice by not giving them the time and the attention that they require. And so it's very important to have your, your ducks in a row. A child is not, um, you know, just something you can neglect. I mean, they, they grow up and they develop, you know, uh, uh, personalities based on how you treat them, right? And so if you want a happy, healthy uh, child full of love, you're going to have to commit X amount of time to ensure that child grows and develops and turns out like that. And we've seen what neglecting children does for them, right? It, it messes up their mental health. It turns them into, um, you know, very rough individuals or sad individuals. And so they they are released into the world that is into a world that's unforgiving. And so, you know, without love and support and encouragement, you know, they might react violently or they might react sadly. And so we've seen what that leads to. And so now we just need to focus on, hey, if you're going to bring a child into the world, wonderful. Okay. Now, are you able to live the lifestyle, the same lifestyle that you led before a child came into the picture? I don't believe you're going to, unless you have a nanny or something like that. But I I just don't believe that hasn't been my experience. I think mm-hmm. that for most people, um, your lifestyle changes, right? Because a child mm-hmm. does take time um, reading and, and, and you know, taking them out on walks and showing them flowers and everything. Mm-hmm. All of that takes time. And so I think you just have to have a schedule. Yeah. You're going back to, uh, almost going back to school, right? Elementary school when you had an agenda, right? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's like, okay, nine o'clock, I'm going to read her a story, right? Then we're going to take a little walk outside and, and you know, look at the butterflies and whatever else, you know, flowers, you know, I'm teaching her all these different things. And then after that, you know, we're going to have a little playtime and then I, I need to, you know, pawn her off to her mother or something. <laughs> you know, I need time, some time to take care of things. But yeah. It, it really works when you have a partner or a wife or a husband and you are on the same page and you understand each other because mm-hmm. I don't know how one person can raise a child. I mean, there's two of us and we're doing well, thank God, but it's still a struggle. 
I can only imagine what one person doing this would, you know, what it would be like. I, I mean, I just can't even imagine because I wouldn't want that, right? Because it's just, if both of us are struggling, right, and we're doing fine, but it's it's mm-hmm. still a struggle. I can imagine if you didn't have help. And so it's, there's no greater feeling than when I pass her on to her mom. <laughs> I'm sure she would feel the same way than when she passes our daughter on to me. So she gets, you know, some time to herself. So it's it's a wonderful experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I think you have to, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your children to uh, prepare right? Plan accordingly and just make a schedule for what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and how long you're going to do it for with them. And and of course, you don't want to give up your dream and your ambitions and your projects. So all of that requires good planning, right? And and so that's been uh, sort of my, my uh, uh, trick to navigating this uh, entrepreneurial life with fatherhood and, and, and uh, as well as being a husband. Yes, I, I so appreciate you sharing your perspective because I, I do think I, I'm not a parent yet, but I just have seen so many parents and worked with parents in all different capacities and backgrounds. But I think it's so important what you said, being on the same page as your partner, but also being able to have the help because I know I talk to a lot of single moms or single dads that don't have that extra help. And it is really important just having things scheduled out too. From what you're saying, I truly believe that because then you're on the same page. Is the schedule going to go perfectly? Probably not. No. But <laughs> <laughs> almost never. I know just with my schedule it doesn't go perfect. I can't imagine with kids in the mix, but being able to really lean on each other. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, even with the support group, when you're working on self-care and everything along those lines, it's just having people in your corner. It might look really different for each person, but being able to have a community of people. And that's what I'm hearing from you too. Just even being a father, a husband and having that partnership that's strong because it's hard. It's hard just living life sometimes every day when you have a lot of things going on. But I think it goes back to understanding, taking care of yourself first and foremost. So you can show up so powerfully for all those individuals in your lives as well. And I know we talked about scheduling, but I'm so curious, what has been some of the tools that have been really useful for you in this journey that have helped with your business and building your business? Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) Well, I want to say number one, with regards to my business, Zoom. And it was made evident uh, during the uh, COVID pandemic. Um, I used to have to drive around and go and speak at different venues. And I spoke at a lot of churches and everything. Um, But obviously with COVID, everything was closed. Um, I still needed to, you know, I still wanted to speak and, you know, just get the message out. Thank God for uh, Zoom, because it allowed uh, me to still have this message and share it with different audiences. And the nice thing is I could actually speak to, um, you know, uh, venues that were in other states, right? There's no difference. I'm not limited. Whereas, Prior to Zoom, you know, I had to drive to to the city or something or somewhere, and you know, it's a waste of gas and and you know, traffic and everything like that. But thanks to Zoom, now people could be at home and they'll tune into your um, your uh, webinar and 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 they'll they'll be there. So Zoom has been absolutely instrumental. Another another um, uh, software that's been very instrumental is PayPal, right? If people are going to pay for anything over the internet, you know, um, they want to know that it's a safe and secure. 
payment platform. And I think that, you know, in this age of cyber crimes and people stealing your data, and, and I don't know about you, but I've been a victim of people, you know, looking at my expenses and saying, wait, I don't even live in New Jersey. Who's spending my, my card? Who's buying stuff in my card in that state? So people are wary of, of, you know, putting their credit card information online. I know my wife is, you know, she's very cautious about that. But one of the things that PayPal has done is it allows you to send invoices, right? It allows, a, it's a safe and secure payment platform that is absolutely trusted by almost everyone, I think, right? Yeah. So I love that whenever I'm sending an invoice to somebody, it's through PayPal, they can pay it. It, it accepts most if not all major uh, cards. Um, so there's no friction in terms of paying for a service. And, and that's one thing that I absolutely love. It's, it's, um, it, it's made my life a lot easier. And, um, and I'm sure that if you have a business, one of the key features of a business is being able to accept money. It, you know, it's being able to accept payment for your product or services. And so you want to have a payment processor or a payment gateway that is very trustworthy. Um, and uh, because that's the one thing, you don't want people to get there and say, I don't feel safe putting my information here. And so, you know, I'm just going to cancel uh, this product or service. Um, I feel like I'm doing a commercial for them. <laughs> well, it's very helpful. It's a very helpful service too. I think it. it you're yeah. right. It's very trustworthy. You have that structure, you can do invoices. There's a lot of different elements to it, but it just makes business flow so much easier yes. because then you have that trust where you know it's like connecting the person who's purchasing and then also you getting the payment and it just bridges that little gap that sometimes we run into. Yes, yes, yes. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are phenomenal tools. I think I definitely use both of those regularly. <laughs> so they're very helpful. And I would love to know what was your drive to even start your business in the first place? What got you here in that regard of just understanding where the prevention was and what was going to be best for each individual you were working with? That's a great question, Dr. Caroline. So it's actually very interesting. It, it actually begins before I uh, ultimately went to college. So I grew up in, in uh, a small town. Well, it's not even a small town. It's a medium-sized town, the city of Rochester, New York, um, mm -hmm. in uh, upstate, uh, upstate New York, um, uh, the western part of New York State. Um, and so I grew up in the city of Rochester. There I attended a church, uh, the North Greece Road Church of Christ, um, predominantly African-American, wonderful group of people, uh, about three, 400 people. So it was a very... Uh, it was a pretty decent sized church. And so one of the things that I observed, um, you know, was on Sundays, you know, while we were worshiping, you know, there's a period of time where uh, people can ask for prayers, you know, maybe they can write in the little card or, or come up and make a statement. You know, they're asking for prayers of things that they were going through. And I quickly noticed that, you know, more than half of these prayers were health related, you know, pray for brother Jones and his procedure, pray for Sister Mabel and this, you know, this person is struggling with their diabetes. You know, when you break down these prayer requests, you know, that they are a reflection of what the people in that particular congregation are going through. And the majority of what they're going through is health related, right? And so I saw many people that I, I knew and I loved, you know, suffer and even die from these chronic diseases. Yeah. And I always wondered why, chronic diseases were so prevalent. I mean, it doesn't really discriminate. It affects both young 
and old people, uh, right? So, but early on, I had I had a, a desire to look into this, right? Maybe do something about it because I thought I thought you know these are good people. They don't smoke, they don't drink. They're living their lives and they're they're, they're doing their best. But you know they're so sick. We're praying for them, but nothing's really happening, right? Like they're just still sick. And, and so I, I came to realize, no, it's a, it's a lifestyle they lead and the way they eat the food culture. It's all of these things that has to be addressed. And so saying that, of course, with, with uh, some pressure from my mom, I ended up pursuing uh, a career in healthcare. So that's when I went and I obtained my doctorate in uh, pharmacy. And uh, that was back in 2013. And uh, almost that same year, maybe the year after, I began to teach uh, as a result of the need that I saw, I began to put together these seminars um, for chronic diseases. I believe my first one was on diabetes and, um, and it was very well received. And I would teach people, uh, you know, what they could do to actually reduce their risk factors, right? It wasn't just, here's diabetes, this is what it is. It was like, no, 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 this is what you're eating. This is what it translates. This is how it affects your blood sugar. This is, you continue this path, you will become diabetic, right? And this is how you do a 180. Mm. And it was so well received that another congregation of the Churches of Christ, the Lawson Road Church of Christ, I believe, uh, you know, the members know each other. They heard about what I was doing and they asked me to come by and they wanted me to do something on uh, heart disease and cholesterol. And then another congregation asked me to come. And so pretty soon I was going to different churches in Rochester and, and just speaking and just speaking uh, uh, on different chronic diseases and creating. Uh, but I, I and I loved it because it forced me to and I was a working man, but it forced me to take the time. And instead of just wishing something would be done, it forced me to put together these seminars and travel, mm -hmm. go here and there and teach it. And so ultimately, when well, years later, when when uh, I, I moved to Westchester, I, I got married, I have a wife now. And, uh, you know, my wife, uh, you know, said, hey, you know, you should take it a little bit more serious, right? Rather than just doing free seminars, actually do something that's going to be more valuable. So that's when I decided that, okay, well, look, I've had this idea uh, to write a book for a very long time, but I just kind of slept on the idea. So I decided to, you know, take some time off and and I asked my wife to take care of our daughter. Just don't let her bother me for a couple of weeks. I just <laughs> really want to be able to put this book together. And I did. And um, so I I, I, I wrote the book and um, I was still uh, doing my seminars. But because of COVID, I was actually doing a lot of webinars. I was doing a lot of presentations on Zoom. And so I wanted to leverage that. And I thought, OK, so. I've given people information, which is the book. And, but the, the funny thing is, going back to the analogy of people knowing that cigarettes are bad for them, but still smoking, when you give people information, it's good, but it's not enough to elicit a change, right? For most people, because again, the hardest thing to break is a habit. So I realized that and I thought, well, I've got to do a little bit more than just giving them a book. So I decided I've, I'm going to create a whole program, a whole system that I can deliver. I can deliver to individuals and I can deliver to organizations. Right now we're uh, uh, targeting, uh, delivering our message or our program to churches. And then ultimately we're going to look at making it a, uh, a corporate uh, wellness program as well. So 
I, I thought, okay, well, how do I make this into an ecosystem that will not only keep people within it, but get them engaged enough to apply the principles uh, that are in this program or in this protocol? And so that's where the idea of, well, let me write a workbook, which will engage them and you know ask them questions about what they write so they can apply it. Um, let me put together an app that will deliver this. People are always on their phones, right? Well, let me just put the program directly in their phone. Uh, let me put together a course where someone could just sit down um, uh, at their own pace and do the program. And they're all tied together. So we have the whole thing. It's a self-care advocate program. And um, it's available online. It's available on my website. And uh, yeah, so that was what uh, I decided. I, it's a realization that information is not enough to elicit change. You've got to have an ecosystem. You've got to have a protocol or a program that'll elicit that change and facilitate it too, because we want it to be as easy and smooth as possible for people. Yeah, absolutely. And I love just where it all came from. It just was so seamless, it seems, but obviously have your wife in your corner to help facilitate that too. But it's helping so many more people than even just meeting with people face to face, but being able yes. to have a book, a program, something in place to really help and impact so many more people. And I'm so curious because you've had a lot of experience in this entrepreneurial world. What are maybe one or two tips that you could give entrepreneurs on this journey? Great question. Um, one of the best entrepreneurship, um, there, well, there are two people that I really like in the area of entrepreneurship. Um, uh, one is um, Dr. Miles Monroe. Mm -hmm. um, if if uh, anyone has a moment, go on YouTube and type in uh, Dr. Miles Monroe. He he did a lot of lessons and lectures on how to sh how to develop your gift, how to identify your gift, how to develop your gift, how to share your gift. And one thing he said um, that I, I took uh, many years ago, he said, listen, your gift is something that really upsets you about the world, the change that you wish the world could make, right, to, to maybe improve the lives of an individual, improve the lives of people or improve something. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not uh, saying it verbatim. And, and so we all have a gift, we all have skills, but when you have a vision for something that is bigger than you, something that can impact people, uh, you know, it's really a calling if, if, you know, I'm trying to put it in a not so religious way, but it's almost like a mandate, right? Because you look around the world, there are so many things wrong and so many things that, uh, so many grievances that we have and ways in which we wish we could improve society. The challenge is most people talk, okay? Most people will complain about a system or complain about a process or complain about a procedure or complain about an organization. They will complain, but they won't do anything about it. And so the entrepreneur is someone who is willing to commit years of their lives, effort, their effort and their time to solving this problem or improving this situation. And you may not get wealth and fame immediately, mm -hmm. but you've got to be able to commit to it. I, for example, I've been speaking for uh, almost nine years now that I used to speak before I took this business seriously and, and developed this program. I've been doing it for nine years and most of it, I did it for free. 
right? I, you know, it was, it, I wasn't being paid to travel and, and, and speak. I did it because I had a passion for it, right? And so you've got to get to a point where you are so passionate about something that you're willing to sacrifice, whether it be time, your effort, or your money, right? In order to solve this problem. I think that's the hallmark of an entrepreneur. That's when you realize that this is your calling. This is your gift with the world. And you've got to want this result more than anything. And uh, I, I think once you get to that point, you really have found your niche. You really have found what works and what, you know, you know again, I, I for anyone who's not religious, I don't want to offend you, but what God has put you on this earth for, right? And so I think about how convenient modern life is, um, how convenient everything is, our phones, we're on Zoom, you know, we're using the internet, where somebody came up with these ideas, with these things, these were all just ideas before. Yeah. They didn't exist at one point in history, right? Someone had the idea, what if this, 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 what if this, that, that? What if X, Y, Z, fill in the blank? Somebody had an idea and they worked at it and they didn't solve this problem within a year. It took them years. It took them effort. It took, they tried, they failed. Uh, I, I think uh, there's a product called WD-40, right? Which loosens a lot of rust if you have something that's stuck together. Um, and the reason they call it WD-40 was because it's the 40th time they tried. They had failed 39 times beforehand. Yeah. And so the formulate, the 40th formulation worked. So they called it WD-40. So the point is this, you cannot be afraid to fail. Yeah. That is something you cannot be afraid to, because I would rather fail knowing that I try than wish I had tried in my old age. I wish I had, you know, invested in myself. I wish I had tried something. No, it's better to try something, let it fail. At least you know, hey, that idea, it, it didn't, it was a bad idea. It, or maybe it wasn't its time, or maybe the way I implemented it wasn't the best way. But at least you have the satisfaction of knowing that you tried. It, you didn't live on in, well, what if I had done this? Or, you know, regrets, no regrets. So <laughs> I think that's the hallmark of entrepreneurship, having something that you desperately want to share with the world, whether it is to solve a problem or fix or improve a situation, and then being willing to commit your time, your effort, and your resources to that end for years. Some people get rich immediately. Other people get rich over 10, 20, 30 years, right? But it's not even the wealth. It's if you didn't get rich, would you still do it? Well, yeah, yeah, because I'm passionate about it. So I think that's the mindset to have. And I think if you have that something that is a burning desire, it take it like a calling, right? Take it like, you know, a mission from God and, and get up and start uh, acquiring the skill set as well as the tool set. Um, and then ultimately you need the mindset to help you achieve the results that you desire. Yes, absolutely. And I love those tips. They're just so spot on too. And I think it is that journey of understanding you have to do it because you are passionate about it because the money doesn't always come right away. It takes time. Yeah. There's obstacles in that, but I think it's just really focusing in on knowing that you're making a difference and you're, you love what you're doing. And even if the money was taken away, would you still do it? It's those questions, but I'm curious, what 
looking at where you've been, where you're going, I would love to know what are your future goals and aspirations for everything that you're embodying and talking about when it comes to self-care and just preventing chronic disease or being able to have preventive measures going into the work you're doing as well for people to really understand. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Dr. Caroline. So the vision is to expand. And uh, I use this word uh, dominion, right? Mm -hmm. um, really, I self-care advocate is, is broad. It's one program that applies to so many chronic conditions. And it's wonderful because no matter what you're going through, where you are in life, um, it, it, it applies to you. Um, my vision is to expand this into other uh, more niche types of uh chronic conditions, so diabetes advocate, um, heart disease advocate, you know, just narrow it down to those specific conditions. And so the vision is to expand this uh, far and wide. So we're looking at where people are. So that's houses of worships, right? That's where you get groups of people. That's why we're rolling out our, um, you know, uh, I call it the number one church wellness, uh, you know, program out there or a holistic church program. <laughs> So we're rolling it out to churches and offering it to them. Um, we're also going to get into the corporate world, right, which is something we can come to any company and, and, and implement this among their employees, um, uh, uh, you know, as, as part of their benefits or, you know, interactive challenges for their, their employees. But Ultimately, I tell you, my vision is to make this a viable option for most Americans. And that means maybe working with, um, you know, the government or even health insurance companies and saying, hey, listen, um, if you implement this, um, we I'm certain we can save you overall costs, right? We can save you money, right? Because if if you have your the people you're covering, if they adopt these holistic habits and we have coaches that are working with them, applying and implementing these things, um, if they if they do this and and you'll see the number of emergency room visits will decrease, right? The number of crises that people experience will decrease. Well, for, for the insurance company and even for the government, that means you spend less money, right? That means that you save money. And so I think that's something we want to be able to showcase to them and let them know that, hey, it's a win-win. You're literally um, applying the self-care model instead of the disease management model. You're you're applying a self-care model to the conditions you're dealing with and um, they'll stay healthier. Uh, they'll stay healthier longer, but you will also spend less money, which means more money for you and your bottom line and everything. So it's win-win. We keep people healthy. And we spend less money just dealing with the same symptoms over and over again. Mm. I love it. And I love that it really just embodies everything that you're working towards of going, being able to niche down to for self-care and understanding what's going to be best for each individual, each individual disease as well, but also getting into the larger groups. So churches, corporate, really being able to help the masses in such a beautiful way and really bringing awareness and knowledge so they can start applying it to their lives because I think that's the key element that I've heard from you but also just from the experiences of everything around self-care yes that's a vision it's a great vision I love it I've been so enjoying this conversation Dr. Cedric but where can people find you use your services we'll link everything below but if you could let us know too 
Thank you so much, Dr. Carolyn. So yeah, I, I'm available on, uh, my website is drsed.com. I made it very simple, five letters, D-R-C-E-D.com. Um, there you can find um, some of my services. You can actually uh, uh, look at, uh, you can find, all, everything is right on the home page. We have a challenge that goes on on a monthly basis, a self-care advocate challenge. We also have a, uh, a YouTube channel where you can find a lot of our content. Uh, right from uh, YouTube. Uh, we do have a podcast ourselves and everything is placed on YouTube. It's also on our website. But uh, if you want to have access to our course, it's right there on the homepage. Um, you can just click it and, and you'll have access to the course, uh, the whole program. If you want a free copy of my book, Self-Care Advocate, uh, you can actually get it right on the homepage. Um, uh, there's a uh, link there that uh, uh, will take you to where you can download. Now, this is a PDF digital copy. It's not the physical copy. If you want the physical copy, I believe you can get it on Amazon for about uh, $14 or, or around there. So mm -hmm. that's where you can get the physical copy, which, you know, it's a lot easier for me. But if you wanted, if you don't mind reading the uh, PDF copy, you can go on my website. I believe you can go on drsed.com forward slash webinar. There's a webinar there, but you know there's a link where you can click and it'll allow you to uh, download the uh, PDF copy. And uh, of course, I'm on all forms of social media. I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and even TikTok. So I believe you can just uh, type in Dr. Cedric B. That's D-R-C-E-D-R-I-C-K, the letter B. Um, or just to make it easier on yourself, just go on my website, Dr. Ced. Dot com and you'll have access and uh, links to all of those other social media platforms. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for just coming on, sharing your wonderful energy with us and everything you're doing to really help prevent any diseases that can be counteracted with just being healthy and the seven-step protocol, especially. But thank you again for just sharing your energy with us. Thank you so much, Dr. Caroline. It's been a pleasure. And I hope those who watch have gotten some renewed hope um, you don't have to live with a chronic condition for the rest of your life. There are things that you can do uh, to help uh, mitigate those symptoms a little bit better uh, to help reduce your risk factors. I can't say cure. That's not what I'm saying, but I can say you can reduce your risk factors um, in terms of what you eat, what you do, uh, how you exercise and, and you know how you deal with stress and sleep. So those are things that are within your controls. And I think you'd be pleasantly surprised at the results, uh, at the phenomenal health results you'll experience once you apply the protocols of the Self-Care 7, which is found in the Self-Care Advocate Program. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment below. What was the biggest takeaway from Dr. Cedric today? I'm sure he would love to see that comment. And we'll see yes. you on the next episode.